when I was in high school, um, I remember uh, one, one day we had this uh, family party at home. Um, my sister, I think it was my sister's eighth grade graduation. So we were having a, a party at the house, I guess, afterwards. So, you know, family, cousins, aunts, uncles. And um, so I would have been, I guess, in about 10th or 11th grade, 11th grade, I guess. Anyway, um, my brothers and I, we all had uh, been assigned tasks to uh, sort of get, get the house ready for company. I was assigned uh, cutting the grass. I had to do the lawn and uh, cut the grass and everything else associated. Uh, do a little bit of weeding, I guess. And, uh, edging, edging the grass, um, which I hated doing. We had this, um, well, it wasn't even a power edger. It was like this, it looked like something from like the Civil War. It was this like pole with a wheel and these like sp kind of spikes coming out of it. You'd had to lean into it and just kind of like push along to create this sort of edge at the end of the grass to the sidewalk. And it was uh, just a slow, tedious, miserable job. Um, so I decided not to do it. And um, everything else I did, but I was just hoping that this wouldn't be noticed. Uh, well, it was noticed. Um, my father, I guess, he, I don't know, he must have been out at the store or something, but he came back and you know, before he was in the house, I guess he did a quick little survey and he could see that the grass was cut, but the, 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 it wasn't edged. So uh, I can hear him in the house talking to my mother and he can, I can tell he's kind of annoyed and they're, they're sort of back and forth talking about it. And then my mother seeks me out and she says, you better get out there and, and finish doing that edge, finish whatever it was. And uh, so I did, I got up, I mean, I, you know, I wasn't like I lived in fear of my dad. My dad was a wonderful guy, but I don't know. I do think there's kind of like a healthy fear that kids should have their parents. Like when you, when you screw things up, you should be afraid. Like you should be afraid of disappointing them. Maybe sometimes afraid of even a little bit more. Um, so I was, and uh, I got up and bolted and went out and I started edging. My dad comes out and he kind of walks up to me, um, didn't even like say hello or anything. He just looks at me and he says, uh, give it to me. And I'm like, uh, I said, no dad, I got it. I'm, I'll, I'll do it. And he was like, just give it to me. I'll do it myself. It's too late. I'll do it myself. Um, that's the worst, isn't it? Um, I'd rather have been hit by the edger in the head uh, <laughs> than you know, it was just this expression of, I'm sort of disappointed in you, I'm frustrated by you. I'll just do it myself. Um, now look at this, well, let's go back to this first reading we just heard, Old Testament. This guy, Ezekiel, is an Old Testament prophet. I think, I think about six or 700 years before Jesus, he lived. Same thing happens. Pretty much the same thing is said. I'll do it myself. And it's God, or else Ezekiel speaking, but it's God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, and he's speaking to the people, the Jewish leaders primarily. 
who've just continued to fail. They continue to drop the ball. They fall short. They disappoint. So pretty much what we get from God is like, just give it to me. I'll do it. I'm done. I'm done even asking you. Listen to the words. I myself will look after my sheep. I will rescue them. I myself will pasture them. I myself will give them rest. Man, there's an awful lot of I myself in those couple of sentences. It's just sort of like, I'll do it myself. Give me the edger. And I think that's sort of what, well, it is what's happening between God and us long time ago. How does he do it himself? I mean, how is God going to do the work of the prophets? He sends Jesus. I mean, he sends his son. You know, our whole notion of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, it's, it's three, but it's one. And, you know, it's like kind of almost an impossible thing to kind of fully grasp. But this is why the Trinity idea is important. Sometimes God appears to us as the creator, kind of as he does in Ezekiel. But then he's saying, give it to me, I'm going to do it. And then he emerges a couple hundred years later in the form of his son. Jesus will do this, which you all fail to do. My son will now do it. Give it to me. It's too late. The lost, the strayed, the injured, the sick, I'll bring them back. I'll feed them. I'll tend to them. I'll heal them. I'll shepherd them. What does Jesus call himself? The good shepherd. You know what we get here? I love when this happens, when the Old Testament and the New Testament, they so completely complement each other. You just get this fulfillment thing going on. Things were prophesied way in the beginning, and there were these references to these things, and you're like, wait a minute, he's totally talking about Jesus. That's what this is all leading to. Sometimes, honestly, the Old Testament uh, it makes me a little uncomfortable, elements of it. The way God is described at times in the Old Testament doesn't sound very godly. It doesn't sound the way Jesus talked about the Father. Often in the Old Testament, you get God sort of really being kind of just ticked off. And he gets jealous sometimes. Sometimes he gets tricked. Sometimes he kills people because of their sinfulness. God has never killed anybody, period. God's about mercy, not about killing. God doesn't get tricked. We get tricked. God doesn't get jealous. I get jealous. We get jealous. You know what we often do, I think, or the Old Testament did, was they took sort of these human realities and they projected them onto God, but he was just sort of like this all-powerful guy but kind of had the same issues that we had. No, he doesn't. None of those human things, none of those sinful things is God. What he does say is, I'm just going to shepherd them. I'll be the shepherd. And then we hear these words about healing and feeding and caring for and tending to, pasturing. And what does Jesus call himself 700 years later? Literally, the John's Gospel, he says, I am the good shepherd. That shepherd that Ezekiel was talking about 700 years ago, I'm who he was talking about. I was sent by the Father, so give it to me. <laughs> give me the edger. I'll do it myself. 
You know, I said before, this is a, today is this feast that we celebrate every year, this time of the year, right before the beginning of Advent. Christ the King. And it's really just a day. It's, a, it's an image of God, an image of Jesus that the church is asking us to give some thought to. Like, okay, yeah, Jesus. We speak about Jesus a lot, the Good Shepherd. A lot of, Jesus, a lot of images of Jesus. Well, today it's, it's this King thing. How is he a king? What is, what, is this, what is this kingdom? If he's the king, what does this kingdom look like? You know what it doesn't look like? Buckingham Palace. It doesn't look like Charles, Prince Charles. It doesn't look like the Queen Mother. It doesn't look like some throne. It looks like the gospel I just read. Because that's a description of the kingdom. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, care for the sick. Clothe the naked. What we're being told is, okay, it's Christ the King. God took over. And this is, what, this is the takeover. This is what it looks like. He's this king, and this is what the kingdom looks like. And I guess the question for us is, is our understanding of being Christians, of being Catholics, like this whole feed, feed the hungry, thirsty, strangers, sick, naked, in prison, is that a part of our lives? Like in some aspect, do we plug into that? Because if we totally, absolutely don't, we probably should be a little uncomfortable. Because he's saying, this is what the kingdom looks like. You know, this past week um, down at St. Mary's in the parish hall was the kingdom. Or a glimpse of the kingdom. Hundreds, hundreds of cans of oh, canned food to getting ready to put together a couple of hundred Thanksgiving meals for people who are just not so well off and great people from all three parishes volunteering their time. The kingdom, what's this kingdom? We know it doesn't look like uh, Charles's world. It looks like the hall down, down west. You know, AA meets a couple of nights a week of course, this down the block, across the street in the rec center. That's the kingdom. That's what he's talking about. Where people are in need, we're supposed to be. You know, in some of it, I might be like, oh, all right. I mean, yeah, sure. If, if I saw somebody who was like really desperately hungry, I got to go to bat for that person. Yeah, I'll do that. But I mean, some of this other stuff, how, visit the imprisoned. I mean, how am I going to visit the imprisoned? I mean, I could, I could if I went over to East Meadow and gave him a heads up and I said, I'm a priest and, you know, can I go in and celebrate Mass? I mean, they, I probably would be allowed to. I have done it. You can't just go over there, knock on the door and say, hey, I'd like to come in and visit the, visit the, the inmates. They're not going to let you do that. So how do I live? How does this imprisoned people thing f factor into my life? How about this? Maybe somebody you know Somebody you know whose addiction to drink or to drugs or to whatever has sort of imprisoned them. It's almost like they're in a jail. They are absolutely not free because of this addiction. And they've pretty much maybe ruined their lives. And they've damaged maybe yours because you love them. But you're so tired. You're so tired of the the dishonesty and the setbacks. 
and the manipulation. This person has literally aged you. You look at a picture of yourself before things got crazy and then in the years since, and you're like, I can, I mean, I'm, I'm literally got grayer hair because of, I think, what this person has put us through. So because of all that, you're kind of done with him or her. And this gospel, I think, says, we got to rethink that. We can't be done with him or her. Am I saying you got to run, run over and arms open, you know, you got to like forgive them on the moment? No, maybe not, not today, maybe not right now. Maybe that's not realistic right now. But maybe do some kind of an outreach, some different approach, maybe unlock the door that I've kind of sla- uh, locked between myself and them in some way. And I know, hey, that sounds nice and easier said than done, Father. I know, I know. But I still think we got to be open to that. Because that's what the kingdom is supposed to look like. And you know what? You look at the gospel, at the end of it, it gets a little blunt. It gets a little serious. It's like, at the end of the day, there's going to be two groups of people. There's going to be sheep and goats. It doesn't end well for the goats. We don't want to be with the goats. We want to be among the sheep. And he's like, if you don't go out and do this feeding and healing and visiting and clothing... And spend time with the goats, because that's where you're going to be. You know, maybe it's the kid in your class, or on your team, or on your block, who just was like, not easy, was sort of desperately sought attention, and was just exhausting because of it, had a tough personality. But you also knew about their family life, it was kind of a disaster. That kid's family was a nightmare, and yours was actually pretty good. And this kid is just desperate. He's starving for attention. That's what the kid just needs. And the more he reaches for it, the more he kind of like, people pull away, and it just, it gets worse and worse. We all know know that kid. He's starving. Jesus said something about people who were hungry. And thirsty. That's not necessarily for food. This kid is starving for a healthy life, healthy people in his life. And maybe that's what we're called to be in our own way, in a realistic way, to be present to that kid whom everybody else runs from or is terrible towards. Hey, here's the point there's lots of ways. There's lots of ways of being hungry and thirsty and in jail and sick. Some of, all of it literally, but it goes beyond the literal. And there's a lot of ways of feeding people and visiting them and healing them. So maybe here's our question this morning, or I'll suggest it. What are your marching orders? It's like, yeah, he took over. Give it to me. I'll do it. Jesus showed up. And this is what Jesus said. We have got to go out and make this kingdom work. So what are your marching orders? Where and to whom might he be sending each of us? And there's a bunch of people, a bunch of us here, different people, different lives, different circumstances. It's not the same set of orders. Man, but there are definitely orders. And he's sending us out. And when we meet him, 
when we meet God, when we go home to God, how great it would be if we can be like, I did it. I cut the grass. <laughs> like, I did it. What you asked me to do, I did. It's done. And then he says, well done. <laughs> 